Hi, I'm Larry Reed, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm Doug Stewart, and we have an exciting episode for you this week. But before we start, we need to spend a few minutes in Dr. Art Carden's economic imagination. Hello, I'm Art Carden from Samford University's Brock School of Business, the American Institute for Economic Research, and Forbes.com. If you have small kids like I do, then you probably know all of the words to all of the songs in the movie Frozen. But did you know that Frozen teaches us an important lesson about the economics of international trade? Stay tuned for more. For today's episode, I have Dr. Norman Horn co-hosting with me, and we are joined by a special guest who is on the forefront of the pro-life debate. Elijah Thompson is a libertarian Christian and pro-life advocate living in Buffalo, New York, where he got his degree in biology and philosophy. He now runs Dank Pro-Life Memes and TheFetalPosition.com, where he produces content that helps pro-lifers more effectively and persuasively communicate the pro-life message. Elijah, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into the liberty movement and the pro-life movement. And uh, well, I'm just so excited to talk to you because I want to kind of hear how you make the pro-life argument. So we'll we'll get to that. Uh, But tell us a little bit about your history. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, in general, I, I grew up with in kind of like the fairly typical conservative Christian home kind of thing where, you know, you're, my father was involved in politics and I got I got a feel for the kind of thing that, you know, I would eventually understand as what would liberty be. But given that he leaned more, you know, kind of Republican-y conservative. He also did not go as uh, as far in certain liberty directions as uh, I do now, which, you know, is a point of contention sometimes. Um, he's leaning a little more libertarian now lately, but, you know, I can take credit for that. Um, but in, in my journey, basically, it's actually kind of an interesting story. I was a, I was in college and I was working at an RV dealership and I was one of the detailers there. And, um, this one day I got pulled over having gone to lunch. I was coming back, coming back to work and I got pulled over in the parking lot where, you know, you know, right outside my boss's office, of course. And he saw the police officer walk over. And the reason it turned out, the reason I got pulled over was because I was not wearing a seatbelt. Um, nothing else was wrong. I was not, you know, you know, I wasn't speeding. I wasn't drinking or anything. And I wasn't, you know, didn't fail to use my signal. I literally just did not have my seatbelt on. Um, and I went inside and, you know, everybody who in the, in the offices was like, haha, look at this guy just got pulled over. One of the detailers got pulled over. And so, you know, I became, you know, kind of like a laughing part of the day for the next day or two. And a friend of mine who was one of the fellow detailers, he said something like, well, why'd you get pulled over? And I said, well, I wasn't wearing a seatbelt and I don't understand why they pulled me over because the government's not here to protect me from myself. And this was before I really became a libertarian. I was kind of like what I thought was a conservative principle that I was, you know, touting at the at the at that moment, and uh, he said, "Well, if the government's not here to protect me, protect you from yourself, how do you feel about drugs?" And this is the first time that I was ever like introduced to this possibility that, wow, maybe the government legalizing or you know making drugs illegal was something that the government was protecting me from myself. And I thought about it, and I was like, 
this the guy that was asking me the question was more left leaning, and he, what he wanted was for me to to abandon that principle and get on board with what he was thinking. And instead, I went the other way, and I said, "Well, I guess that means that drugs should be legal." And I was I hadn't thought very well much through it, um, but that was the conclusion that I came to, and I ended up you know looking up what you know liberty based reasons for. Um, drugs being legal and protecting me from myself. And I believe I ended up finding the Tom Woods podcast. And just after that, it was, there was no going back after you find Tom Woods. So <laughs> the, the guy that I was talking to really didn't appreciate the fact that I went like full libertarian on and he wanted me to go, you know, leftist. But, um, you he know, wanted you to control more areas of people's lives. Yes. He wanted, yeah, he definitely wanted me to say, well, maybe the, Maybe the government protecting me for myself is a good thing, and I did not do that. <laughs> Just went complete other direction. Yeah, good, good for you. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so how did how did you get from that though to you know you you you're listening to Tom Woods and you're probably listen, reading and listening to a lot of other stuff and how did you get to the point where you're like I am going to start dank pro life means and thefetalposition.com? How did that get started? Uh, well, okay, so that's. So at the time when I was in, so I was working as a detailer uh, because I was going to school. I was going to Buff State and I was getting my degree at the time. I was, I wanted to be a high school teacher. Um, and I was like, you know, education is one of those things that can never be outsourced necessarily, except for maybe, you know, using the internet. But at the time I was like, well, I don't, I always need teachers. Um, and so I was considering the economic factors of it. And then I was like, I got into student teaching and then I was like, wow, I really don't like this. And I don't feel like, you know, preparing lesson plans for children. Did, did who you also care. oppose compulsory attendance laws at the time? <laughs> at the time, at the time I had no idea. I didn't oh, even know that like, you know, my, <laughs> yeah, like all this was brand, brand spanking new to me. Um, sure. But anyway, so I was, I was in school and then I realized I did not like the idea of doing lesson plans for my entire life um, and teaching, you know, high school kids about planets that I didn't care about. And so I started getting more into like the Christian apologetics area, um, listened more to like a, like the Stand to Reason podcast and stuff like that, and started getting really inter interested in the age of the earth debate and the uh, the specifically the evolution, intelligent design, creations, all that stuff. So I got more interested in that, and then I switched my major from education to biology. Um, and then I got really interested in like genetics and, and stuff like that. So that's when I switched my major because I, I was really interested in that in the Christian apologetics world. Um, and then I, I, I forget what podcast I was listening to at the time, but as you can tell, I listened to a ton of podcasts at the time because it was, I was a detailer. So like I could literally listen to seven and a half hours of podcasts a day. It was great. Um, and so I, I listened to one of the episodes of something and they presented a, I believe it was Greg Kokel's show where he was stand to reason. I think he either presented or had a guest on. I think it may have been like either Scott Klusendorf or some other pro-life person, um, where they presented the sled argument and we could potentially get into that if you're interested in it, but it's the, the, there's no difference between a, no, no moral difference between a child in the womb and out of the womb because the only differences are sled, size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency. And none of those justify killing the baby inside the womb. And so I was like, oh, this is awesome. I want to know more about this. And at the time, I was actually taking some moderately upper level, like 300 level courses. Um, and one of them 
was uh, had an embryo embryology lesson in it, and we learned about how life, a new human organism, comes into existence when the process of conception was complete. And I was like, whoa, okay, looks like science is on the side of being pro-life. And I'm listening to this other guy who's telling me that philosophy is on the side of being pro-life. I wonder if there are other pro-life podcasts. And I searched for, I just went to Google, I searched for pro-life podcast, and there was one at prolifepodcast.net. It was called Life Report. It was a guy named Josh Brom and a couple of other people that were involved with his stuff. And so I, I listened to about 180 podcasts in like two months, something like that. And I got to the end. And right as I was getting to the end of where they were producing episodes, um, Josh, the host, actually was stepping down and going to do something else. And so I got to the end of it and I was like, well, let me see if I can find another pro-life podcast. And I couldn't find one. I couldn't find another one that was – that was what I, what, you know, is hyper-focused on the pro-life issue. Like I could find some episodes of things that were pro-life related, but I couldn't find one that was just pro-life stuff, just responding to it from an academic perspective, maybe how to be more persuasive, things like that. And so at the time, because I had listened to hundreds of thousands of hours of podcasts and I was like, well, I'd like to hear myself talk, so I'll make a podcast. And so I started up the fetal position podcast and I bought the domain, the fetal position.com. And, uh, from there I, I made like maybe, I don't know, 12, 13 episodes. Then I got more into like the political side of things because it was the 2016 election. And so I did an episode on Hillary Clinton. I did an episode on Donald Trump, one on, uh, Gary Johnson. And then I got more into that. And then I was like, well, okay, people like the current event stuff. And I was like, I wish I could pump out more content. And I was like, I, I, man, I really don't like memes, but let's see what let's see what the pro life movement has in terms of memes. And I had been, you know, paying attention to it, you know, as anybody would, you know, just how the how the memes typically go in the the sphere that you're in. And I realized, or I've had I had realized for a while at the time that the pro life memes kind of suck, and they were not good. And the ones that were okay, that were kind of funny, were actually either straw men or they were, you know, beating down like the easiest form of the crappiest version of a pro choice argument. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, hey, you know what? Maybe I'll make some memes. And I didn't particularly, I wasn't a huge fan of memes, as I said, but like I got to a point where I was like, well, what I'll do is I'll make some memes and then I will, in the, the topic of the meme, I will link it to a podcast episode or a blog post. And when I started doing that, uh, I got... I got it went it was hard to start off right at the very beginning. Um, but I told my podcast audience about it, and so I got like two hundred, three hundred people who liked it right away. And then i I slowly gained up to like maybe nine hundred likes on I think it was just on Facebook at the time. And then all of a sudden, I think it may have been Julie Borowski that shared one of my one of my memes that I didn't even make. I just found it on Reddit or something and posted it. And Julie Borowski, I believe it was her that shared it. and then, uh, the next day, somebody from Secular Pro-Life shared another meme, and I went from 900 people following the page to over 5,000 in the in August of 2017. And that That's was like – amazing. It was That's fantastic. It was, <laughs> it was ridiculous. I've never seen any growth about anything that I've – you know, I never even account, encountered anything like this. It was, it was nuts, like 1,200 <laughs> a week or something like that. Um, but so then I was like, okay, uh, well, people like memes. And, uh, I guess I'll keep making these, but I'm also going to keep making my podcast and right around, this wasn't, it was a little while before, um, I actually got, uh, fired from my old job where I was working as a cell culture tech. And so I went back to being a, um, 
a internet marketer guy for the the RV place that I had actually, you know, I promoted myself within the company. And so I had a ton of time to learn marketing, marketing, uh, you know, how to do social media marketing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, whatever. I was I was running all of that for the the company. And so I took everything that I learned and applied it to my pro-life stuff. And that was nice because it allowed me to um, allow me the internet time to build an audience. And then after, after a little while, I ended up like, you know, I don't get paid enough for this job. I need to go to a new job. And so I actually started working at the company that I'm at now. Um, and, but the problem was, is I wasn't an internet marketer at all. I was just, you know, I was on, on the production floor and I'm, I moved up to, into the engineering wing now. So, but like, I can't just sit on the computer and make memes anymore. So I, I had nowhere near the amount of time to be able to dedicate to it. So the podcast kind of fell away and it's actually been just over a year since I made my last episode of the fetal position podcast. Um, but I would, I am planning on going back into that because I just, I just like hearing myself talk, like I said earlier, but so essentially the plan was for me to get people into my podcast so I could tell them the best way to be persuasive by using the memes. And when I made the memes, the memes kind of took over my life. And now I haven't made a podcast in a while, but I've got 24,000 people, I think, on Facebook and like 6,000 or 7,000 on Instagram and like three, four, five, I don't remember how many people I have on Twitter, but it's become a thing that I'm known for. And I've actually, because of this, I was speaking with the New Wave Feminists and Julie Borowski at the March for Life, uh, not this most recent one, but the the one at the early last year. And um, I went as a, you know, like a, uh, what do you call it? Like a media guy for a Rehumanized International Conference. I got free ticket to that. And I actually emceed a pro-life conference in uh, Berkeley and uh, all because of these memes. So like... <laughs> My original plan with the podcast was, hey, maybe I'll make a name for myself in the pro-life movement with these podcasts because nobody else is making podcasts. And it turns out nobody else is making memes and uh, that people like that more than they like podcasts. So, so which and, and the irony there is that you weren't really that big of a fan of memes until you got into it. Yeah. And, and then the weird part about the memes is like I got to the point where I was people were submitting memes to me and I was like, well, this is wrong. And they're like, what do you mean? It's wrong. It's funny. I was like, yeah, but it's wrong. They're like, okay, I don't understand. How, how is it wrong? I was like, well, okay, so here's the pro-choice argument. And what I would end up doing is I'd educate the people who I who were submitting memes to me. And they were like, oh, all right. And I was like, so here's how I would tweak your meme. I would build up the pro-choice argument in what they, I think in logic or something, they call it a steel man. You build up the pro-choice argument, then you beat it to a pulp by really refuting it rather than just refuting some kind of you know flippant version of it and so now if you look at like the kinds of memes that i have up over up, up over at dank pro-life memes they're like a lot of them are either like you know hyper uh hyper intellectualized but i try to you know dull it back a little bit because not everybody knows like what the violinist is right. you or, wanted to catch on yes <laughs> but it, it yeah it, so now i have this weird push and pull between do I make something hilarious and mocking pro-choice people or do I make something maybe not so hilarious but being really precise in the way that I use words? And I 
just defaulted to the really precise aspect of it. And now I've fallen on these like weird aspects of the pro-life movement where it's like, I don't think because abortion is legal, I don't think the term murder necessarily applies because murder entails legality. And so like I fall on that side. Now I'm making enemies within the pro-life movement because I define abortion a certain way. I'm like, man, I never wanted any of this. I just wanted to make podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) It's true that when you begin to develop like a, a, a field of thought even that, that you're going to, you're going to end up with stuff like that. I mean, heck, even, even with LCI back in the old, the old days of libertarianchristians.com. I mean, I got some pretty, let's call it dank hate mail um, (laughs) as well, but I'm, I'm not really surprised because the more nuance that you get in, in argumentation, in the pursuit of being precise, in the pursuit of being truthful and honest in your presentation and whatnot, yeah, you're going to you're going to make some enemies of people who are wanting to be lazy but funny or uh or try and, you know, you know, take pot shots but not really get uh do the work. Right. And so, right. you know, it's commendable what you're what you're talking about and for anybody listening who wants to have an effect in a particular field, like that's this is the way you do it. I mean, this is I mean, well, let's not not again not to sort of toot our own horns here, but this is what we set out to do with LCI, and and it's clear that you know Elijah, you're doing this, a similar thing here, and that's that's really commendable. So kudos to you. Thanks. So I'm glad we have you on record now on our podcast, say, promising the world that you're going to produce more. So now you've got to you know yes. be, we'll we'll hold you to that. We'll check now in. Now you're responsible. <laughs> oh man, there's so much to say now. Now that I've been within the pro life movement, like really deep in the pro life movement for a year, not making anything. Like, oh man, I could go delving deep into the what is the proper definition of abortion, and should we include the word? Should we include intent in it? Then does that mean that medically necessary abortions are actually abortions? There's so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, let's not get ahead yeah. of ourselves here. Uh, <laughs> so let's let's start with your approach to things. Um, you know, in, in our prior conversation, prior to recording this, you talk about one of the main things is to understand your view inside and out, and understand your opponent's view as well as they do, if not better. Yeah, my 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 plan with that is essentially what I want is. Um, a, a level of intellectual virtue that you don't really see in very many places, especially nowadays. I mean, I don't know if it's always been like this sort of level of chaos within like, you know, the, the media and stuff like that, but there's no intellectual virtue in almost anything you see on like the mainstream media or like on Facebook or anything like that. Everybody is just a, you know, it's rhetoric Hockey versus heads, rhetoric. It's terrible. Yeah. yeah there's, it's there's, awful. Yeah. There's, there's, n- yeah, sorry. Go ahead. But yeah, you're exactly right. It's terrible. Yeah. So my 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 approach is that I want to have a better understanding of my opponent's arguments than they do. If if they're, you know, particularly adept at their understanding of it, then maybe I want to understand it just as well as they do. But of course, I want to be able to refute it. So my plan is to basically be a a good question asker. And someone who is able to take it to the, the deep level that no one ever really thinks about. So I'm sure you guys understand what I mean when I say this, but like a lot of our disagreements that we have with people who are on the opposite end of an ideological spectrum from us will be not like the top level stuff. So if you think of it like a tree, like people, we everybody just spends all their time debating about the leaves. Nobody ever really goes down the trunk, but really what we want to talk about is the roots because from the roots, everything else comes out. And so people will say something like, you know, a woman has a right to right to her body. Right. And I'm like, heck yes, she does. And then the, it's weird for a pro-life person to 
to say, yes, a woman does have a right to her body. And so like it catches them off guard and I'm like, okay, but a right to her body to do what? Like any, anything she wants. I was like, anything she wants. Okay. Does that mean that she can assault somebody? Well, no, no. Why not? Well, why not? Well, cause it's a violation of her rights. Okay. So now, the, so we're getting deeper, deeper, deeper. And then we're like, okay, so what gives someone rights? And that, oh, now you're at like the soil level, like of the, where the tree is. And so you're like, okay, let's talk about rights. And then we talk about where rights come from, who has rights, and whether or not all human beings have rights. And if all human beings have rights, then the unborn has rights. And then it's like, now, okay, now we're talking about the good stuff. Now we're talking about the stuff that actually matters rather than just debating about all this stuff on the top. Whenever I think about the pro-life versus pro-choice debate, um, it, it seems to me as a Christian, well, maybe not even as a Christian, but just maybe it's just the way that I logically think about how does this go down to the roots is that this really does hinge on not necessarily the question, when does life begin? But the question that comes right after that is like, at what point is life worthy of rights protection? Is, am I wrong there or is there a way to argue for pro-life without or even have the debate without even getting into that question at all? Well, it depends on what the other person is, is how the other person is coming at it. Um, because sometimes there are people who are just like moral nihilists or like something like that who will just say, well, rights don't exist. Um, actually, it's, it's as a somewhat of a side note, it's actually kind of funny to me when I when I debate pro-choice uh, libertarians and they say, well, rights only come from the government. Like, can you imagine someone calling themselves a libertarian and saying that the government is the one that gives you rights? What kind of status nonsense is that? Anyway, so, um, yeah, so it depends on what they're, what, you know, where they're coming from, like with their moral foundations. Um, if they are under the impression, like a lot of like left leaning people, if they're under the impression that all human beings have rights because, you know, they love human rights, um, then you might have a way in to say, yes, I agree, all human beings have rights. Now let's talk about whether or not the unborn is a human being. Um, but then there might be somebody else who just doesn't agree that all human beings have rights. And if that's, if that's the case, then your conversation is probably going to end up leaning towards um, whether or not human beings have inherent value or they they have instrumental value. So like whether or not they have rights because they are human or because they can do something in particular. What are some examples... Again, I just want to kind of go back to the, you know, understand your opponent's arguments more. Do you have some examples of the most common ways pro-lifers will misrepresent, either unwittingly or not, uh, the pro-choice side of things? Yes, plenty. Um, there are two that come to my mind at the, right at the top, um, and I think it has to do with, you know, what we were talking about earlier about trying to be precise, because a pro-choice person will often say something like, well, the unborn um, isn't human, but the, un, or the unborn isn't a, is human, but it's not a human being. And then the pro-choice person will be like, well, that's the same exact thing. A human being is the exact same, it's a human organism or something like that. But in reality, what the pro-choice person is saying, they may not understand that they're saying this, but this is what they're saying. They may not know they're saying this, but what they're saying is that you can be a biological human being, a biological human organism, but not be a valuable human person. Um, they separate human beings from personhood. And they would say that something like, you know, I think it's, I think it's a valuable, um, valuable approach because you can potentially have non-human persons. Like as Christians, we would believe that God is a non-human person. Um, angels, 
Um, and then, you know, as as a sci-fi nerd or something, I would say, yes, uh, you know, like from the Marvel movies, Vision, he's a non-human person. Um, Thanos, non-human person. And then like even getting into like, you know, Spock. Don't forget Superman. Data. Don't forget Data. Can't forget Data. <laughs> <laughs> and Spock and Superman. And in that, what was that one movie, Arrival, where the heptopods, oh, yeah. those are some solid non-human persons. Um, so I, I like the idea of a personhood. I just think that every person, every human is a person, but not necessarily every person is a human. Um, and so what the pro-life person has to do when they're discussing this with the pro-choice person is they have to make sure that they know what the pro-choice person is attempting to say, even if the pro-choice person doesn't. It's most of the time, I think this is because as pro-lifers, we tend to kind of like, you know, focus on this issue and we get pretty good at, at being pro-life. Um, and if, what what's interesting is pro-choice people aren't really good at being pro-choice. Because a lot of times being pro-choice is something that is on the left and left-leaning political thinkers tend to think in identity politics. So when, they, when they're thinking about politics, when they're thinking about being pro-choice, they think about all the things that involve being left-wing and being pro-choice is just a part of that. So they don't really get really into the weeds, at least in my, ex my experience with talking with people, they really don't get into the weeds of you know, being philosophically consistent about their application of personhood or anything like that. They just think of, you know, I have to hold this view because I'm a leftist or a progressive or, or a, you know, democratic socialist or whatever they want to call themselves. And then being pro-choice just comes along with it. And so I think if we want to be intellectually virtuous pro-life people, we need to understand what argument they are making, even if they don't know that they're making it. And so like when they'll say, well, it's not, it's not a human. Most of the time, people are not saying that well, it's not he biologically human because if you just think about it, well, if it has uh, a, a human mother and a human father, then it's biologically human. Like you can't deny that. But what they're actually saying is that it's not a valuable human person. And far too often, especially like on these, you know, 750 comments long Facebook debates, all I see all the time is, well, of course it's human. Here's a bunch of scientific sources that show that it's human. And then they're like, well, it's not a human being. And then nobody ever has a very productive conversation about that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one way that I think pro-life people misunderstand pro-choice people's views. And the other one is, uh, so that has to do with personhood. And the other one has to do with bodily autonomy. Um, a lot of times, you know, the whole my body, my choice thing, um, they will pro-life people will hear that and they'll say, well, if it was your body, then you, then you'd be the one that was dying. And while that is an all right approach to some versions of the of the bodily autonomy arguments, what most of the people are saying is that it's my body, my choice, so I can choose what to do with what's inside of my body. So saying, well, it's not your body, or saying something like what I hear uh, a lot is, well, if it was a woman's body and she's pregnant with the boy, does that mean that she has a penis? <laughs> and I'm like, guys, like this not clearly, just think about it for a second. Clearly, that's probably, that's if you're just giving your opponent the benefit of the doubt and saying, well, would any reasonable person actually think that a, pro, a, a woman who identifies as a woman who is pregnant with a boy all of a sudden has a penis, like as a part of her body? I don't think anybody who has thought about it would actually believe that. So the key is for that one is to is to focus on that it's a, it's not necessarily that they're making the claim that the that the unborn is literally the woman's body, but it is inside of the woman's body and like a parasite, like a tapeworm or something. She has the right to remove it from her body. So those are 
two primary primary ways that I've seen people misunderstand things. Um, there's a lot of other things that you could talk about, like you know, misunderstanding thought experiments and things like that. Like when people talk about the violinist, they're like, "Well, that would never happen." It's like, "Well, that's a complete. That's not how you're supposed to approach thought experiments at all." <laughs> not even. That's, you must be allergic to philosophy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's so. Those are the those are the two potentially more uh, ways that people misunderstand pro-choice things. So you make a great meta point there about how essentially the leftists and, and for, for what it's worth, the, the conservatives are the right, the rightist, uh, <laughs> they make, they, they have similar problems oftentimes. Oh, yeah. And that's a, they, their collected views are not really nuanced or systematic. And, uh, it, it's kind of a hallmark of libertarian thought is that we think systematically about all these things, that we're holistic in the way that we approach the world, the way we think about human rights and ethics. And uh, all of those things are important to us. And and though it's entirely possible for the leftist or the or the person on the right to come up with, to have systems and, and uh, to, to approach things from a body of thought, um, that's not the, that's not the normative way that is often practiced by their followers. Um, whereas libertarians, that's, that's kind of, that is our thing. So in, in, as, in as much as we are talking about here intellectual virtue and being intellectually honest and being intellectually excellent, uh, this, is, this is where we are meant to shine. So, you know, hey, like this is, this is great and I'm, I'm, I'm really thrilled that uh, – I'm just kind of wanting to say I'm thrilled that this conversation is happening here. It is, this is why we care about this stuff. Right, right. Hi, it's me again, Art Carden. Earlier, I said a few things about Frozen, the Disney smash hit from a few years ago that considers the trials and exploits of Anna and Elsa, two princesses, and the people of the tiny town of Arendelle. It's revealed in the movie that the Duke of Wesselton, a nearby community, wants to somehow exploit Arendelle, its closest partner in trade. It's clear there's something a little bit weird about the Duke of Wesselton. And after Elsa reveals herself as something of an ice queen, we learn that he had let's just say less than honorable motives about what was going to happen with Arendelle. We can say the same thing about Prince Hans. Now, at the end of the movie, Anna and Elsa, or excuse me, Elsa specifically, punishes, and I use that in quotation marks, the town of Wesselton, issuing an edict making it illegal for the people of Arendelle to trade with them. Who's really hurt by this? Well, the people of Wesselton, but also the people of Arendelle, who now no longer have access to the goods in which they have a comparative disadvantage relative to the people of Wesselton. So, it looks like the Duke of Wesselton is getting his just desserts, but honestly, Anna and Elsa are hurting exactly the people that they think they're trying to help, and the people they think they have the prerogative to rule. For more practice using the economic way of thinking, visit libertarianchristians.com slash artcarden. And now, back to the episode. And you, you say that you like to provide unity across political, religious, and ideological lines, and that you work with anybody who whose desire is to save babies from abortion. What are some ways in which you've experienced that unity, or have you come into a lot of pushback, or have you found yourself just not fitting in with, uh, you know, people who don't don't hold some of the same political views you do? Uh, yes to all three. Um, I have found pushback for people who are stubbornly, um, what they, what do they call that? They, they think that they have, you know, firm convictions and that, you know, tolerance is for people without firm convictions. I actually got that earlier today. Um, and I was like, well, that, that doesn't make any sense. You shouldn't confuse tolerance with a lack of conviction and please don't confuse stubbornness with conviction. Um, and my, my point with that was that, you know, you can be 
um, you know, very stubborn, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your convictions are all that great. And just because I am tolerant of other views does not mean that I have a lack of conviction. In fact, I have very many convictions. Um, but yeah, so when you were talking about getting pushback, um, I get pushback from from actually from the both left and the right when it comes to tolerating other people's views that are not related to abortion. Like the the one thing that I I basically just define abortion as being um, against elective abortion. I define abortion. Or I define being pro life as being against elective abortion. Um, and people who will there's so there's these left leaning people who will say that well no being pro life is much more um, you know. Co- I don't want to say coherent, but it's much, much bigger than that. And they, what they'll do is they'll, they call themselves the consistent life ethics people, CLE. Um, and they'll say that it includes, you know, being against nuclear war and being against the death penalty and being against, um, uh, basically all the, all the, the talking points of what the left is typically against. And then they say, well, it's also for paid maternity leave and it's also for universal health care and stuff like that. And so what, what they do is they call it either a consistent life ethic or a whole life ethic. And so what they'll do is they'll put themselves there and say, well, now I'm more pro-life than these other people. And then what the, what the people on the right will typically say is they'll agree with me in the terms of how we're defining being pro-life. And they'll say, well, it's just, being against elective abortion and you're adding all this other stuff and you're just confusing it all up, all up. Everything is all getting confused. Um, and so in terms of, uh, being unifying across the ideological and political lines, it's hard because everybody has an ax to grind that has something to do with being other than pro-life. Um, and I actually just got into a, like a little spat today where, you know, on this Facebook group that I'm, that I made called, are you even pro-life where they, um, everybody was debating about as one guy that exists as a Nazi. Like he just was, he's a Holocaust, Holocaust denier and said that he was a, a, a he liked the nationalist socialist party. And so everybody's like, ah, it's a Nazi. And then I got, you know, pooped on for not banning him immediately. And I was like, well, this is, I, I like to keep things open here so we can discuss things. I'm not going to ban somebody. We're not, I'm, not the, I'm not the thought police. And then they got mad at me because apparently that means that I'm a Nazi sympathizer. Ugh. Anyway, that was a whole bunch of nonsense. But so sometimes it's difficult to unify, you know, herd these cats. Um, it's difficult to unify them if the, the purpose of what you're talking about is everything other than being pro-life. But I think the cool thing about being able to unify – um, and this is really kind of exemplified when you go to some somewhere like the March for Life, where you have left-leaning pro-lifers and you know anarchist pro-lifers and everywhere in between, um, all marching together because they are against elective abortion. And I think it's a, a really cool event that you can you know just see the wide range of people. And one of the interesting things, and this is actually one of the things that I was talking about when I was doing the MCing at a pro-life conference in Berkeley. Um, and I was, we were talking about unity among diversity within the pro-life movement. And one of the things that, um, Greg Kokel often says is that we are, we're here to bloom where we're planted and we are all a part of a particular community and that community speaks a certain language. Um, and there are pro-life people in every community. So if, 
if I'm a part of the libertarian community, I can appeal to, you know, like I was talking about earlier, we have natural rights and the state doesn't give us rights. It recognizes those rights. And I can rephrase, instead of saying I have the right to life, it's more like a negative right where I have the right to not be killed. Um, it doesn't require anything of you, that kind of a thing. Or if you are on the left, you can talk about, um, you know, social justice, that social justice begins in the womb. You can talk about how the, there is a, um, the patriarchal forces what what manipulate women and, and put women in vulnerable positions where they're forced to choose abortion. That's actually why I made a t-shirt. Uh, one of the first things I started selling through this page was a t-shirt called abortion is a tool of the patriarchy. And I loved it because I was like, man, I don't even know if I'm, I'm fully on board with this patriarchy thing, but this is too good to not put on a t-shirt. Um, and so I made another one that was – I haven't sold any of them yet, but it said uh, abortion is aggression and pro-life libertarian. And so there's a lot of different ways that you can approach the pro-life issue. And I'm, I'm completely convinced that no matter where you fall on the political or ideological or religious line, unless – even if you're a moral nihilist, like I'm even thinking like if you don't even believe that morality exists – then you know at least your existence exists and maybe we should give the next person a chance like it's just i don't even know how someone can be consistently holding to any ideological perspective and be pro choice i i'm completely convinced that you have to be inconsistent in your foundational beliefs in order to be pro choice and be anything else um and so the the cool thing about this this diversity thing is if like there's a, one of my pro-life friends, uh, her name is destiny. She's with the new wave feminists and she can talk about all this stuff that I, I can't, I mean, I can talk about it if I were to write it down, you know, abortion is a tool, the patriarchy type stuff. If I were to write it all down, I could be like, you know, make it sound awesome, but it just comes cause she's a part of that, that community. She is able to speak the language of the, you know, the leftist feminist type and, appeal to their moral foundations where if I, a straight white Christian male, <laughs> went to a you know a, a left-leaning you know, organization of some kind and tried to communicate the pro-life message, I would be dismissed immediately. Um, and so that's just what I mean about this, the, the importance of diversity is that I cannot influence every aspect of culture um, just by the very nature of us being limited human beings. But if we have a diverse pro-life movement, um, I'm not the kind of person who says diversity in and of itself is a good thing unless it performs a function. And in this case, I think it definitely performs a function in saving babies. Well, it also means that you don't always have to bring up your Christian faith when making a pro-life argument or even right. bringing up religion or faith in general. Right, which is why one of the things that I do with my my approach is I stick to it as a, a secular pro-life argument, basically. Um, I don't appeal to religion unless we dig really deep into like the metaphysics of human nature. But um, even then, like there's certain ways. So like obviously as a Christian, I believe that we all bear the image of God. Um, and that's what ultimately grounds, I think, our right to at least the right to life. Um, because the you know, but then there are there are secular philosophers who would come to the exact same conclusion, and instead of saying it's the the uh, image of God, they will say that it is a member of a rational kind or a member of a species that has the ability to think and act morally. And I think if we dig really deep into it, that might be what is meant by the image of God. But instead of phrasing it like, well, I believe that we're all made in the image of God, I just phrase it like, well, we are all a member of a rational kind, or we're a member of a species that can think and act morally. And I think that allows 
me to um, justify it based on what the other person perceives and is rightly a secular approach, um, whether or not <laughs> whether or not an atheist would be uh, you know 100% consistent in appealing to objective moral values, that's a different question. Um, but I think uh, there are enough atheists right now that will accept that objective moral values and duties exist, but they just don't you know run with the conclusion of a William Lane Craig style argument and say therefore God exists. Elijah, you've been talking about this diversity of views that you see, you know, as being part of, of your, you know, personal, uh, influence on the movement and what you, where you, where you're participating and where you're having an influence. And what, one thing that kind of brings to mind to me is, you know, there are a lot of voters out there, especially in the Republican party, at least who talk about themselves as being kind of one issue voters, uh, to where, you know, what only, the only thing that matters to them on some level is, you know, the, the pro-life position of whatever candidate that they're voting for. And, to me, that's kind of that, that's kind of an odd thing, you know, as a libertarian, um, in particular, because you know what this kind of leverages to me is that you know, well, the Republican Party, for instance, is really is actually pretty bad on abortion when it comes down to it. Yeah. Uh, there's historically, you know, they they leverage it as as a as their voting block, and and in fact, I, I feel like in many respects, the Republican Party has no really has no incentive to do anything about abortion. And in fact, they don't typically because it suddenly when they do that, then those one issue voters will suddenly have no issue to vote for. Right. And that's, that's very, you know, that's kind of odd, uh, but it, but it makes sense from an incentivized point of view. It's in fact, it was something that actually helped when I was convincing my parents, uh, you know, <laughs> that libertarianism was the right way of thinking about things. And, uh, and so I'm just curious, you know, based on, you know, your, your experiences with diversity of thought and, and, uh, and, and, what you've been doing in your groups, does that play into this at all? What would you have to say to that? Yeah, it, it definitely does. And it's interesting because uh, as a somewhat of a side note, when I first started the Are You Even Pro-Life group, um, we originally had made the accusation, you're not even pro-life if you blank. We made it as a, against the rules. And we ended up banning like so many people because everybody was like, well, it, you know, essentially – the leftists were accusing the pro of the righties of being not really pro-life unless they agreed with all their universal health care stuff. Band, 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 band. And then the righties were accusing the lefties of being not really pro-life because they're voting for somebody like a Hillary Clinton who would be approaching, you know, they would agree with them. They would agree with Hillary Clinton on a bunch of other things, but not on abortion. And so the um they would, you know, I can be in a banning those people. But then we we eventually got rid of that rule. And I think it's be, I think it's healthy for for a, a group of diverse pro-life people to talk about what the implications of their views actually are um, and what their view, what the implications of voting for a particular person actually are. Unfortunately, with the, the convoluted way that our politics are done is that we we approach things like everything has to be all combined together, even like when you vote for when, you know, the, the politicians themselves vote for like bills and things like that. There's like 10,000 different things jammed into it. And it, you know, if you, if, you know, I think there was, there was a recent one where they were talking about defunding Planned Parenthood, but like also if you vote for defunding Planned Parenthood, something to do with the wall in there. And I'm like, can we just please separate these issues? But unfortunately, with the way that identity politics works, you can't really separate the issues. Um, but in terms of like being a one issue voter, um, I'm not a one issue voter, um, but I know that for me, 
I've I, it's much easier as a libertarian to not be a one issue voter and vote for a pro choice person because even in the case of like Gary Johnson, um, he would just say something like, "Well, it's not really the federal government's job to do it." You know, it's not that's not what what that's there for. So if anything, it should be a state's issue or he he will just keep the status quo. I think there was a he he was he said specifically with Gary Johnson uh, in the 2016 election. I think he and Bill Weld were like, it's just the law of the land. That's just is what it is. They were pro-choice, but they weren't looking to they weren't looking to expand, you know, Medicare um, to you know, pay for abortions there that, because that's just not a libertarian thing to do. I'm not saying that, you know, Bill Weldon and <laughs> Gary Johnson are the most libertarian ever, but, um, had, had that, had they won, you know, shot in the random shot in the dark, um, it wouldn't have hurt the pro-life cause from a political perspective. Sure. Um, obviously if like, you know, we would have got an Austin Peterson in the office and he is actively pro-life, um, it would have been much a bigger thing because he probably, I don't know what he could have done in terms of enacting political change, but um, he would have at least gone in a pro-life direction. But it's it's much more difficult, I think, from a I don't want to say much more difficult from a from a right wing perspective, like a typical conservative, because usually the the typical conservative will have all these things that they agree on, and then if one person you know says, "Well, I'm I'm for." You know, I'm against same-sex marriage, and I'm for gun rights, and I'm also pro-choice. Then they'll be like, "There's so many other people we can pick from that also are pro-life." So, being a one-issue voter is not something that I think the right wing has had to deal with all that much. But in my experience, the people who are pro-life progressives who believe in the inherent human dig- in the inherent dignity of a human being um and that's why they advocate for leftist policies you know irrationally or, or you know they're wrong of course because the free market's a much better approach to things that they're trying to use government to to solve um but at least their their head is on in the right direction in terms of this um and what the problem is is that anytime there's a pro-life progressive that is a potentially a part of the ballot, um, he's, you know, he or she is just, you know, destroyed right away by the whole party um, because, you know, the DNC does whatever it wants. Um, but when, so in, in the, in the discussion about voting for a pro-choice person, um, I think the pro-life progressive has probably the most difficult thing to, to do. Cause essentially you have either, you know, a, a Bernie Sanders who's pro-choice, who is very pro-choice. Like he's, he's, I think he was advocating for things that would, you know, essentially make it so that it was legal to abort a baby all the way up until birth. Um, not even just induce labor and then deliver a, a preemie baby. It was like, act, no, just kill the baby in the womb because that's allowed. Um, the Democrat party is especially like, you know, nowadays is the party of being pro-choice, the party of abortion. And if you're a pro-life progressive, unless you're doing it on a local level, which I know some people who have had some success, um, there's, you're not going to win a national election by being a pro-life progressive. So I'm, I am definitely not jealous of the pro-life progressive community who, uh, are forced to choose to not be, they have to not be a one issue voter, but then they get, you know, you know, it's interesting even like bring up the idea like I, there's I you obviously don't hear a whole lot about pro pro choice pro-life progressives right you know on, on the left but you know on some level I'd almost be like trusting of the pro-life progressives like adherence to an actual pro-life value sometimes than a than a so-called pro-life Republican uh, in this case because like again 
I mean, the Republicans have demonstrated time and time again that they that they don't have any interest in actually doing anything. Right. <laughs> I mean, so right. that's just it's funny you put that way, and that's kind of an aside. Um, and I and that doesn't mean that well, we should just that means we should only go out and you know, like we're not again, we're a five hundred one c three, and so we're not really advocating for candidates in any way, shape, or form here, whether it's a Libertarian Party, Republican Party, Democrats, or whatever. So I guess I should probably just stop there. But <laughs> <laughs> I think you can kind of see where I'm going with this here. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that's it's just really interesting that like that's a that's a thing. I don't even know that. You know, that's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, there are a lot of uh, very pro-life progressive organizations like Rehumanize International. One of their main focuses is on being pro-life. And like I was saying earlier, it has to do with the whole life approach or the consistent life ethic. And so what they will typically do is they will lump what, you know, being pro-life into everything else. So it becomes a part of the consistent worldview. And a lot of times, um, because leftists tend to be more secular, uh, especially like, you know, atheist or agnostic leftists. Um, and what they will typically do is they will say that they value all life. And then a, an outworking of that is that a lot of them are either vegetarians or vegans. And I, while I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't, wouldn't subscribe to a vegetarian or vegan diet out of any moral concerns. Um, I really respect the person who says one of my moral foundations is that all life is ought to be protected and therefore I am going to be a vegan even if that doesn't end up working out practically you know because of the you know the how the you know market or whatever works in terms of you know meatless food um, but if they if their convictions are that all life is valuable and then they turns it turns out that they are um, vegan and pro-life in terms of abortion and they're against all the other things that typical pro like leftists are against then you know great i'm glad you're being consistent um i'm i'm i one of my goals is to be as consistent as i possibly can and i guess i'm glad i don't necessarily uh view the all life is uh, of equal value in the way that a lot of them do but um so I know this isn't wasn't originally like a part of what we were talking about but uh well it is but it's not we wear, you know, the outline or whatever. But um, one of the, the interesting things about this consistency thing is what I have found is that people who accuse other people of not being pro-life, um, what they'll do is they will project their moral foundations on another person. So I get I get accused of being not really pro-life a lot by other pro-lifers who are vegans or vegetarians, and then they say, "Do you eat meat?" And I say, "Yes, I do." And they say, "Well, that's you're not actually pro-life if you if you eat meat." And the problem is, is that I don't hold the view that all life is equally valuable and should be protected. I do agree that all human life should be equally protected, but I don't, I'm not, I don't hold to the view that all life, you know, like chickens and stuff like that, that's not my view. And, well, and you can also just immediately deflect to, Hey, we're, when we talk pro-life here, we are talking about elective abortion. And right. so again, limiting the scope for the sake of that unity while respecting that diversity of thought and the consistency of someone like that and respectable as it may be or, you know, or whatnot. I think that that's admirable. I'm, I'm cool with that. Yeah. And I think one of the cool things about hyper-focusing on the particular issue of elective abortion um, rather than, you know, medically necessary abortion or something, we just don't even talk about that. We say, well, yeah, we call it, we kind of all agree on that. Um, and if we are all against elective abortion, then uh, we're all on the same team. And then we all go into our individual communities and speak their language. Elijah, this has been uh, really 
fun conversation for me, and I can I can guarantee that this will be a hit uh, with our listeners. I can also guarantee that us. you're going to be back at some point. So. Yes, yeah, that, that too. Uh, <laughs> it's a date. This has been too much fun. <laughs> so thefetalposition.com, uh, Dank Pro Life Memes on Facebook. You said at earlier on, like it might be somewhere else. Is it on like Instagram or Twitter? Yeah, I mean, it, essentially, if you go to thefetalposition.com, all of the links to everywhere, everything that I could possibly be doing are right on the homepage there. But if you wanted to look specifically for Dank Pro Life memes, it's on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, it's also on MeWe, and, but nobody uses MeWe. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been there for about five, five no minutes. <laughs> yeah, right. It's also on MySpace, but, you know, nobody uses that either. Right. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not on MySpace. And what's the next big thing for you, and, and what should we be looking out for? Oh, oh, I wish I was further along in this project that I'm working on. Um, okay, but here's here's my thought. Um, I'm going to get more get back into like the actual podcasting stuff. And I have this project that I'm working on that is going to be extremely valuable for the pro-life movement as a whole. Um, and I, I'm hoping it becomes the thing I'm known for rather than dank pro-life memes, which, you know, dank pro-life memes is going to be always be a big thing in my life. Um, but uh, the other thing that I'm working on, and I, you know, I hate to be that guy who just leaves everything cryptic, um, but is going to be a very, very valuable tool in terms of pro-life um, argumentation, you know, being able to learn things, stuff like that. Um, so here's here's my thought is I'm going to get back into doing my podcast. I'm going to work more on this side thing that I'm not telling you about. And then the next time I come onto the show, I think we should address very specific arguments like we were just talking about uh, addictionism and stuff like that, you know, before the show. And if we, we, we can address those things and maybe address like, you know, violinists, maybe particular things, you know, depending on how well this, how, what the listeners are interested in hearing. Um, and then maybe by then I will have my uh, special thing up and going and then I can reveal it on, <laughs> on this or something. That like sounds that. awesome. That well, sounds like somebody who is an internet marketer. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's how we do. <laughs> no, it's wonderful, and and so let's uh, let's just tell our listeners here right now. Like, if you have something you would like to ask uh, Elijah here, then make sure that you comment on either our our uh, Facebook page or on the blog post for this and the show notes uh, that'll be there as well, where where we will link to uh, Elijah's work in various capacities, and uh, and let us know what you think, and we'll try and make sure that that gets addressed as best that we can when we have him on next time. Uh, it yes. won't be next week, but it'll be sometime in the future. And yeah, this is this has been great, Elijah. I'll just say as well, thank you for being here. This is uh, this is super fun, and uh, we're really glad to have you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group. You are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. The audio engineers were Doug Stewart and Jason Rink, and voiceovers were by Matthew Bellis and Kate Horn. If you'd like to find out more about the LCI, please visit us on the web at www.libertarianchristians.com.